Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Bruno Reagan and Seabass of WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Our news is presented by our good friends at Sutherland and Belk, an SEC sports-loving injury firm in Nashville. These guys will shoot you straight on your rights and options when you have been injured in an accident. Please call them at 615-846-6200 to get your questions answered. You can also visit them online at sbinjurylaw.com. Vanderbilt will host Senior Night for its football team. That game with Tennessee, that comes on Saturday. Kickoff time at 3 p.m. Central. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Seabass joins us from WNWS in Jackson, Tennessee. Bruno Reagan joins us from his home in Clarksville. Bruno, of course, a former Commodore. Gentlemen, starting with Seabass, hope you guys are doing well. Bruno, you as well, but it is, I'm just going to go right into this, okay? Because this is Vanderbilt, Tennessee week. It is the most bizarre Vanderbilt, Tennessee week I've ever seen. I think there's always some excitement around this game for both sides. I think it is doubly unusual this year because this is a rivalry that the thing 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago is it's not a rivalry. Well, Vanderbilt's made this competitive. I think it's won, what, five of the last 10? So <laughs> it is really odd to me. And I'm going to start with you, Seabass, because you have watched this rivalry for longer than Bruno has. I want to get Bruno's perspective as a player. But is my take on this right? I just don't sense that people on either side are that excited about this game. It's the strangest thing because the Vanderbilt, Tennessee football game, even when we were getting blasted, uh, is my second favorite sporting event every year. I mean, regardless of the situation uh, behind the NFL draft, 
uh, and and this year it's 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 crazy because you're right it's and both and it's you're I'm glad you pointed out that it's on both sides because do I want to beat Tennessee this week? Come on, of course they deserve it. They have it coming, uh, but maybe more so. I probably care less about the outcome of that game this year than I ever have on my 48 years on planet Earth. And the crazy part about it is, is you've got the folks on the other side of the state who are hoping that we'll beat them. <laughs> we don't care if we win, and they hope they beat that we beat them. I, I've never, I've, I don't know how you get, we get to this point, I, uh, but that's where we are because I think most people are looking for some kind of death nail, uh, and that that they would be that a, a loss would be the first time that they've whatever lost seven in a row. Uh, losing to a Vanderbilt team with 45 scholarship players, basically, uh, whose wheels have completely come off, I think they think would be the final straw that would force Philip Fulmer's hand. And I think they're wrong because of the fact that that was his hire uh, and the fact that he won, what, eight, nine games in a row, including a win over a good Indiana team in the bowl game. He's not going to fire him over one year. I just don't see that happening. But Tennessee fans are hoping that Vanderbilt will beat them, and Vanderbilt fans simply at this point don't care. Bruno, what's your take? Because you don't have a fan take on it. You were not a Vanderbilt fan growing up. Obviously, you care deeply about the program after having played there. But what is your perspective on this game? Are you excited to watch it? What do you think the kids on the team think? Coming into the week, you know, I'm more on the coaching search in the future and stuff. So I guess I'm not as excited for this as I usually am because, I mean, it's per- it was always personal with me in Tennessee. So the fact that I'm not really too pumped up about it either, I guess it, I guess it kind of says something about the whole collective. Would it be nice? Yeah. Would it be nice for those guys? Yeah. I think this week will probably help the guys because there's, what, 40-some players there they can hardly practice. Hopefully this has given them some motivation to push through to the end of the season because they're playing into December time, right? This is where you're supposed to be a winning football team earning the opportunity to play again with each other in a big bowl game, you know, with all this fun stuff and you're doing all this great. These these guys are into December basically like being grinded into dust, right? So I'm hoping at least the fact that they're playing Tennessee – and it's also finals week too for those guys, which is brutal. But so hopefully that like these guys playing Tennessee, it gives them, you know, it just gives them something to look forward to. Cause I don't really feel for the guys in the program right now. Bruno, I'm going to start with you here. I, I find it hard to think Vanderbilt wins. Now I do think that Ken Seals and those guys, they can put up some points, but I just think Tennessee will run the ball left, right and center. And I just look at, mm-hmm things on that depth chart that they released, and I don't see Vanderbilt being able to stop it with the depth on the defensive line, uh, with cornerbacks and safeties playing linebacker with the size issue. How do they pull this off? They pull it off with turnovers. They pull it off by not giving Ken. So the offense is going to have to play flawlessly. They're going to have to score at least – two-thirds of their two-thirds of their drives if the defense can get one preferably special teams to get one to two turnover because they're not tennessee's gonna score i mean i was watching tennessee play florida right and tennessee's run game looked really good and we're short on defensive line depth i'm sure they're gonna throw in some skinnier linebacker body types on the d-line they might stand them up in three technique positions but it's all stuff that's you know, it's going to be brutal to watch against the run. And our, even in my years, it, we had some good players there. You know, it wasn't, we weren't not good against the run. We haven't been good against the run for a while. So 
obviously Tennessee is going to score. We're going to need these guys to find ways to just get the ball out and it's going to be up to the offense. I mean, that's, that's been my key every single game. The, the offense is going to have to carry this team. The defense is going to have to make some magic happen, make plays. That's the thing about defensive football. You can grade negative on like, if say there's 70 game, plays in a game, you can grade negative on every single one. But if you get two to three turnovers and just completely flip, flip the field or stop a drive, then you might win. So it's going to come down to Ken. It's going to come down to Ken, the running backs, the wide receivers, O-line protecting Ken, even from pressure, right? But that's about the only way. You know, we're obviously 14-point underdogs for a reason. We have a decimated roster. Is it impossible? No. Is there a decent chance we win? I think so. I mean, those, from what I hear, Tennessee isn't as motivated, just as demotivated as Vanderbilt is right now. So that could play a factor. I mean, they have two quarterbacks probably splitting first-team reps in practice. So who knows that how that's going with the team? I saw this one clip on Twitter and I retweeted it where like the quarterback was just on the ground picking himself up after getting mauled by Florida and like the old linemen don't care. Like it's easy to tell people are checked out on both sides. So whoever shows up on that day might pull it off. And Vanderbilt, we typically show up against Tennessee. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I saw that clip too. That was fascinating. They literally let their quarterback pick himself up off the ground. It's fascinating in a in a pathetic way. Is Trey Smith on that team? I would figure this guy is like maybe he's. It's tough, especially being the quote unquote leader of like a team that's in down in the dumps right now. He might have checked out too. In O line rooms, that's unacceptable. Like we we were taught, you know, run down the field and pick up the wide receiver, pick up the running back. If your quarterback gets hit, that's red alert. Like you better pick that guy up. Kyle better know that we're there for him. You know, it's a mental thing. And there's that nobody in that program when I was watching that game seemed to care. That tweet just summed it up perfectly. I was like, wow, these guys are really just out here. You know, they're sleepwalking through it. And even then, they still perform pretty well. They have talent. It's clear they have their own issues, too. Seabass, what are you thinking? Because I, I look at this, again, I see the issue on defense, but Bruno brought up a really good point, right? If teams checked out, then maybe there's an opportunity there that we're not seeing. Is it possible? Sure. I mean, I've known Trey Smith since he was in eighth grade. That would be completely contrary to the way he's wired, you know, but I'm not up there with him right now. I mean, he's one of the most efficient killing machines I've ever seen on a football field. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, there, there, there was a reason he was the number one prospect in the country uh, coming out of Jackson as a senior. I mean, he, he's he's got everything you need, including position flexibility. He, his intensity level when you buckle him up. I mean, I used to watch him, and and, and he would get flags thrown on him for completely legal plays, Bruno, where he just would take people and drive them into the ground. And the coach would say, why are you throwing my guy? He said, because he's going to hurt somebody. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, wait, wait, I got to do something. That he's going to really seriously injure these people. You know, uh, is, it, is it happening? Maybe. I'll just say that if, if, if he has reached that case, then it's an epidemic in that program and everybody's mm-hmm. at that point. Uh, because if he's there, then they're all there. Uh, I guess it just comes down to a matter who wants it less. Uh, but I would say this from a pure stuff standpoint, even with the utter mess that their quarterback position is, in fact, their defense is, is, is backpedaling pretty quickly. The fact of the matter is they should be able to turn around and hand it off to Eric Gray and Ty Chandler and do what they want. There's nothing about Vanderbilt's defense, I, you know, 
I would say almost at the best of times this year that says, yes, they're capable of stopping this running game. The game plan would simply be for me is just I just do everything in between the tackles until they prove they can stop it. And the answer is they cannot stop it. So that's what I would do the whole time. And, and what else does that do? It keeps Ken Seals and the offense off the field. And it keeps, more importantly for them, it keeps the tendency defense off the field. I don't see an answer for that. That's why I, there's no as bad as I want to win this game, no matter what's going on. I, I don't see how they win it, just based on the fact that defensively, I mean, a bad a defense that was already bad is now in shambles. And, and by the way, let's go back for just a second. Now that we have had a chance to digest a, uh, almost a full season, look at the number five team in the country. How did we do that? I know we didn't win I, the game. Yeah, I, I know we didn't win the game. But how did we do that? I thought Texas A&M was going to have a bad because the expectations were low for Vanderbilt even going into the season. You know, it was it was very low. Most people thought we wouldn't win a game. So we came out against Texas A&M, and Texas A&M looked awful on special teams. They're making terrible decisions. I was like, holy crap, Texas A&M is a bad team. Blink, look at them, college football playoff contender. I have no idea. That's a good question. I mean. I mean, think about a couple things in that game alone, just in that game alone. Uh, what's, is, is the young man's name Marcus Watkins, the defensive, the defensive tackle? I thought we had something there. They're great in the trenches in, the, in that football game. And by the way, this wasn't just a matter of Texas A&M, just, man, I can't hold on to the football. Those were forced turnovers. Vanderbilt's defense did that. They did that. And they had a chance to win that football game. And you think, well, God, A&M must be terrible. I mean, the number five team in the country and worthy of it. I said this, you could mimic that effort right there. I know we can't do it with 45 players. I get all that. If you could mimic that effort, they would beat Tennessee Saturday. But that's just not where we are right now. Now that team is ignorance is true. I don't even... list those things. Like you go into a season, man, and um you, you know, you hear the talk. They say close out the talk. You're going to hear the talk. You know, Vanderbilt's ranked last. But you're 0-0, zero and zero, so, you know, you're going out there getting as the season piles on. You know, things start to derail. Obviously, our roster gets depleted. So we start to look like what people thought. But off the beginning of the season, I mean, those guys were like, screw it. We're going to go out. We're going to play. We're going to have fun. And <laughs> it was great effort. That kind of sums up the Mason's era at Vanderbilt, though. We had so many close games, man. I can't – I don't know if I can even think of them off the top. Florida – where it was like 9-7, Notre Dame on the last drive. We lost so many crazy games where we shouldn't have won Auburn on the last drive. I mean, so many games, like three, six points with a chance to win. And that sort of, in the Texas a game was just the same thing. You know, we're out there. We look great. We're competing. But things eventually derail. And, you know, somehow we're completely different from the team we saw that week. I mean, think about what the narrative of this season is if you won that game, but yet A&M goes on to do what they've done. At the end of the day, I mean, that's what separates programs in, in college football is the teams and the, and, and the players who find a way to somehow get that done. We always seem to find a way to not get it done, you know, and which is probably the most – believe me, I'd rather get my head caved in and just say, well, we just suck. We don't have the material than to have it and never get it done. That's when it's really frustrating for me. Absolutely. I know that you guys are both limited on time today, so I'm going to take us to the mailbag. Uh, that's sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshuamintonhq or facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about him here. 
Baseball bros, how should a new coach go about fixing the roster in terms of numbers, not specific players? How much of an effect will reduced scholarship players have on the team's performance in the upcoming season if opt-outs don't return? Bruno, I'm going to let you have that one. So here's what they're going to have to do. I mean, so they have to find a way to get these opt-outs back, right? I think that's totally a fair thing. And I've already mentioned on the board before that we that there are some guys, you know, it was low single digits, but I haven't reached out to everybody. And most of them reached out to me. They were saying, you know, they were talking to me, what, you know, what are you hearing, coaching search, all that. And then they mentioned, you know, if he would have me back, you know, I would come back. And is the talent level going to be where it needs to be? You know, maybe not, but it's important to have bodies in there just so that we can field a practice team, right? You can't practice with 40 guys. You can't really even practice with 60 or 70. You know, they're going to need to get the roster. The eventual goal should be 80, 90 people so they can get scout teams, split periods, team on the grass and not on the grass. I'm not sure how the rule exactly works with signing. You know, if our team is so depleted, are we allowed to sign more than 25 but just getting bodies in the building first is going to be huge for us and then we can start going after the guys we want to go after next one i'm going to give this to you this is from reagan vu i have a feeling you know this guy bruno what's it like (laughs) to play into december uh no matter what especially even if you're going to a bowl game is taxing i mean you if you're a younger guy playing, you're not used to the level you're playing at. You know, you're trying to keep your body straight. Um, in December, that's typically when the semester ends, so you're finishing up school. And at the same time, that's where the most important football is, right? If you're playing in December, you're supposed to be a bowl team, basically. Now, if it's taxing during bowl week, like during bowl week, it, ba- it basically becomes a mini camp. So it's like camp, and camp is a very tough thing. It's not... I wouldn't use the word fun for it. And that basically happens in December. Now scratch that and do that thing in December. It's a point and you're playing games that were canceled. One of them is against Georgia where let's be honest, it's not going to be pretty an extremely met huge mental hurdle to overcome playing in December in these circumstances. I think that's why that's probably, that's definitely a factor in some of the opt-outs coming out. You can say, yeah, they quit or whatever. I put out my support in Dio because at what point do we draw the line? Like, you know, what if they cancel, cancel, cancel us to January? And it's, you know, three weeks before the senior bowl. And we all expect dial to keep playing when he's a surefire NFL. T- I mean, and for what, for this 0 eight football team? I mean, I, I feel like a lot of people haven't been done right in the past year, two, three, you know, why do they have to sacrifice so much for so little in return? I think December is what, uh, and for the guys who play through the December right now, I mean, it's tough. I know it's tough and more power to them. they will be better men because of it. But December is not, it's supposed to be this, this thing that makes it all worth it. And that's just the total opposite this year, Chris. Let's see. Vandy Zach seven basically asks who you prefer between Chadwell Lee and Healy. Um, I will give that to Seabass first. Well, you know, as I, I, I answered this question last week. I, it was it was tough, you know, and I have my, my purpose was if I was truthful, I said at the end of the day that I'd be happy with any three of them. And that is true still. I, I don't dispute that. Let me tell you something. Look, if Will Healy ends up being the coach at Vanderbilt, I'm not going to be angry. I promise you. I'm, I'm still going to be fine with that. Uh, again, what he did in, in my alma mater and my program was – I mean, it was the biggest miracle. It's the biggest miracle in college sports, period. You know, like I said, for whatever you think Vanderbilt is or is not, what he did 
was far more impressive. It would be the equivalent of winning the SEC East here. Uh, and, and I'm not, and I'm not overstating that. I don't think. Uh, so, I mean, he's, he's got some currency with me. There's no question, uh, with Clark Lee. Uh, and again, I told, uh, as I said, the reaction of Notre Dame fans kind of tells me all I need to know, you know, I mean, that they can be as critical as anybody there is. And they're also as informed as anybody is. So they know what they have, uh, in Clark Lee and he may bring, it, he has more invested clearly than any of the other prospects that we could possibly bring in as our head coach. And by the way, Notre Dame's pretty good defensively, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, at, at the end of the day, he's doing a great job. But as, as I said last week, I mean, I would be lying, and especially, because I'm going to tell you something, man. I don't know if you two watched that game or not, but you don't even have to like college football to appreciate what we saw with BYU and Coastal Carolina. I mean, even if even if BYU had won that football game, nobody lost. I mean, those two teams who are coming from the complete opposite side of the fence in every conceivable way got out there and just threw down. I mean, just threw <laughs> down. That game had it all. And excuse my language, Coastal Carolina didn't give a damn, son. They were in it to win it. And they played football with the type of passion that I believe is the only way to play that game. And it made me think, good grief, can you imagine if we can get that in Nashville? <laughs> and, and I, you know, and I was sitting and I looked at that. I was already in that camp anyway, but that put me over the top because I, you know, the old, the old adage that a play, that a, that a, that players are an extension of their coach. They're so, it's not that, look, that is not the rule, but it is so spot on, man personnel wise they shouldn't be able to stack up with BYU because Bruno you saw that offensive line for BYU those are some dudes man it's not it's not a surprise that they were undefeated i mean they are a massive physical football team and BYU and, and coastal carolina just didn't care they just did not care they wanted more and they got after it and to me you know i look and, and his track record for success I'd be lying to you if I said that there's anybody that I would rather have over Jamie Chadwell. I, he's the guy. I mean, I, it's sounding more and more like that's not going to be the case. Uh, but if you make me say a name, that's going to be it. But it has also felt like Clark Lee sort of was the fit with the school. You, you know what I mean? Like, he's the guy that you can say, if you know nothing else about the coaching search, He's the guy that seems to be the button-down guy that they would slide in there. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Sure. I was telling I was telling people before before the Chadwell stuff started uh, heating up, and you know what we were hearing about Chadwell. I was telling people I thought it was Lee's job to lose. I mean, it just all made sense. It's like if you had a puzzle on a table and you didn't even try to fit the puzzle piece, you just threw it at it and it just fit perfectly. That's what that's what Lee felt like, right? So I was telling people like I I thought it was personally just off speculation i thought it was lee's job to lose and if it looks like that that way then that is what it is and i don't think many people are going to be upset about that either like for this job i, I just don't think vanderbilt can go in and say we're looking for somebody who does who understands the way we do things around here well i got news for you the way you do things around here frankly suck 
you know, and that's why we are where we are. So maybe we need a big fat dose of somebody who doesn't have a clue as to what you do around there. You know, so that's why I'm real hopeful. I listened to that Sparks podcast about uh, uh, with with Deermeyer, uh that was uh, like a Zoom call, uh, excerpt from a Zoom call. And look, you know, the dude, the the dude clearly loves sports. That's not a question. But here's my and and that's exciting for a Vanderbilt fan to hear because we've seen what it's like when the chancellor doesn't give a flip about sports. However. That doesn't 100% mean that we're going to get what we want just because the chancellor is a sports fan, you know, because it's not just all about him. You know, if it were, then I'd be throwing, you know, I'd be jumping up and down, saying, "Man, look out! We're about to get it all." But it's not just <laughs> about him. We, but we have to. What we have to find out is just how much uh, what he has to say, what how much leverage that has. You know, because in that same deal, I think he was basically quoted as saying that Candace Story Lee and I are basically a hundred percent agreement on everything that we do, and that would freak me out. Be honest with you, right now, I don't want that to be the case. So, I mean, I mean, it's it's great that he loves sports, but that alone is not going to get it done. Yeah, it just worried me when I listened to that interview that he was not more forthcoming with facilities and things like that. That's right. I mean that because if okay. you're not gonna sell yourself now, when would you? You, well, know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, right, you know, right now you need to be uh from a relations standpoint, you need to be, yeah, man, we're gonna do this, this is the goal, this is what we're looking at. We and try to sell it as good as you can, and all I hear is a little bit of hem haul, and then that's this is not the time to hem haul. They didn't have any qualms about putting out that academic plan where they're gonna commit a hundred million dollars to professors and all that. I mean, if you can't come out <laughs> with some kind of commitment financially to football right now, you've just blown your football team up over a kicking stunt, and we all know what that's what that is. So I'm saying if you won't do it now, if you're not gonna do it now, if you're not going to if you're not going to say, Okay, here we go. If we won't do it now, when will you? What what do you need? I mean, if if we if we do business as usual right now, after what we've just endured, then that just kind of tells you, okay, look, guys, <laughs> you know, if you went here, thank you. If you played here, thank you. Appreciate that. Sidewalk alumni, what are you thinking? Find any and every other team out there. We're not interested in doing. We're not interested in competing the way that you want us to. I mean, th- it has to be this time. You know how everybody always says, and believe me, not to get political because I hate politics. When they always say this is the most important election ever, you know, and and sometimes it's true and sometimes it's not. Guys, this is it. This is the crossroads. We're here. We're Ralph Macchio in the movie. We're at the crossroads making a deal. Doesn't have to be the de- with the devil, but let's make a deal here. Let's figure out what we want to do. But if we won't make the move now, then I got news for you. It doesn't matter if Nick Saban is the next chancellor at Vanderbilt. Things will <laughs> ever change. This is it right here. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic, but it's true. This is the time. You know, I have said all along what I have heard privately about him has been good and commitment and all these things, but here we are, and let's look at what's in front of us, right? But I just watched him, and I look at this year, okay? And, and it's been you nix facilities after you get rid of the AD. You pull the media relations stunt, which has been awful. You blow the team up by not being competitive at kicker. And you do all this right before you try to hire a football coach. 
And I'm just wondering at some point, when does somebody step in in terms of leadership and put a beacon of something out there to make people feel better? Because this isn't it. Yeah, that, that, that's that's my point. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> if you're not going to do it now, you never will. And we need all hands on deck. I got. I'm sorry for the clay cliches and platitudes, but they just keep flying out of me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. This has to be the time where you show all out commitment. Because if you if if you won't now, I mean, this is the desperation hour. And what's crazy about it is. I mean, when I saw those three names pop up, and I got to thinking to myself, what about this job would attract anybody outside of a middle school coach? And yet there we are with real viable options, but none of that is going to matter. Somebody posted that on the board, and it's 100% true. We can talk about every name in here. We could put Dabo in here. Uh, And if the commitment isn't there, uh, you know, from the university, and I'm not asking them to provide a billion dollars. I get it. I know that's not happening. But it, it, the university simply must show the commitment right now because if they do, guys, it, it won't be an overnight fix, but we can turn this thing around. And, and, and look, I'm not asking to turn a blind eye to academia. You know, I don't hate the people at Kirk and Kirkland Hall. I don't. They're still Vanderbilt family. But I sure wish that they would look at us the same way. I, ju- I just want a commitment for the first time in that university's life. And, I, you know, a day or two ago, I felt like that might be the case. And the more this drags on, the, the more nervous I get about the same old, same old. Because I'll be honest with you, Chris. Bruno, when I called Chris uh, like the day after Coach Mason uh, w- w- was fired, and I said, you know, I-, I started to feel bad for Coach. I said, but the one thing that could unite this fan base and, and, and the universe and all this other stuff is a coaching search. You know, I mean, because you know what, the, the the opportunity to cover something different and to and the because speculating can be very fun. It, it it really can. Now, look, this may turn out perfectly, but but this this coaching search, pretty much like everything they do these days, is taking crazy twists and turns. Uh, now, we may have a great end and a great resolve, and that'll be awesome. But if they botch this, fellas, let me ask you a question: If they botch this. What is there left to hold on to? Oh, it's it's over at that point. Yeah, I mean that's it. I mean that is that's officially it. And I, look, we've all have been there. We've all seen Vanderbilt fans say, "I've been a ticket holder since Blase." You know, and now I'm officially out. And I've always said, "Well, you know, I'll see you later. I'm here. I'm here to the end." You know, but if they screw this up again, and it's clear that they screw it up, I don't know what I'd have left to cling to. You know, I mean, I don't I don't know how to be a fan of another team. I've never loved anybody but this program since I was five years old, you know, so I don't know how to do that. But I mean, how many times can you get kicked in the stomach before you say, you know what, maybe maybe I ought to do something else. What I want them to do is say we're in, you know, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but we're going down swinging. You know, the one thing I don't want is for us to be the reason we fail. Were you guys on the board last night? And I'm not going to get into the politics of the anthem and everything, right? But they've got about mm-hmm. 200 women's basketball fans left. And just about all of them were angry on our board last night over that. And, and again, I, I'm not going to get into the politics of that, right? But I just look over there and I go, what, what are you guys doing? What is appealing to your fans? 
What do you give people to hang on to right now? And I, I just cannot believe sometimes what I'm watching. And again, you hear what you hear about the chancellor, right? Uh, but it, at some point, you put up or shut up, and the disintegration of the football program in the roster, I understand that maybe you're new and those things, but when you're seeing kids leave at that rate, and then you pull the thing they did, canceled the game against Georgia the next week, and, and then there's nothing on facilities. Okay, at what point is it time? Maybe this isn't fair, and it probably isn't, okay? But at what point do you start asking pointed questions about leadership? Now, I mean, the, well, someone has to step up and be accountable. That's 100%. I was watching from afar last season, and there were some – I mean, there were some bad, there were some bad crowds when I went there, and it was just totally night and day from Franklin's era, which sucked. But when I saw the U, things like the UNLV game, I was like, "Hold, this is, this is abysmal. This is, I mean, it felt like rock bottom. It totally did." And you know, so when you just see someone, I don't know, is it that hard for someone to be like, you know, this is my responsibility? You know, that was on me and I'm going to fix it. And I get I get the frustration of Vanderbilt fans and frankly ruined it for everybody, because now you now there's expectation. There's expectations now. There was a standard set and people want to see that standard met. So when it's not met, everyone's going to be upset. Everyone's going to be frustrated. And that's where we're at right now. And this probably is the I mean, this coaching search is the most important one in history. Like Steve Bass said, we, I'm sure we say it every time, but but this is it and so, someone's got to take it someone's got to take accountability for everything that's happened and go forward with it when you lose trust that's what makes this tough and there wasn't a lot of that to go around in the first place so but you know i think about that video uh, that that halftime or maybe pregame speech, I don't remember what it was. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And and Bruno, uh, I don't I don't remember what was your freshman year. Did you ever play under Franklin? Were, were you a freshman? Nope. I was uh, Mason's okay. first year. Okay. Uh, um, I remember that video where he's just screaming in the locker room, and he's he told everybody turn around and look back on the beach. You know, the boats, the boats are burning. Are burning. And, and he, was, and he yep. said that these days are over and they're never coming back. Unfortunately, he was a little prophetic. Uh, prophetic. Um, I hope he's wrong. <laughs> I hope they are coming back. I hope those days are coming yeah. back. That's what's at stake right here. But you guys, Chris, I mean, do you remember? Of course you do. You were in, you were there on the front line and you, and, and what it was like when you could walk into, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe you're at the gym or you're in a restaurant or you're a group of friends of yours and they're all sap sucking UT fans or Alabama or whatever the case may be. And you had for the brief amount of time to walk around and stick your chest out and know they didn't want none of you. And that it drove their fan base to the point of insanity because they couldn't beat you and they knew it, you know, that right there, we deserve a whole lot a lot of that, like maybe a lifetime of that for what we have had to endure. And I remember for the first couple of years afterwards, James Franklin was a cuss word. I, I, I get it. You know, when he posted that class, you know, and the way he handled that, a lot, a lot of people, it, it rubbed people the wrong way. And I certainly understand that. But I, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, if we're going to compete in this conference and we have any desire to do things, we need a whole lot more of that right now. 
every time they make news anymore, they make themselves a punchline. I mean, yeah. if it's if whether it's brick by brick for basketball, who came up with that? My goodness. If it's play like a girl, uh, and then your team is that our basketball slogan? Oh, you didn't hear this. Yes, they oh, they came man. out with brick by brick <laughs> at That's one awful. point. Now it lasted about three or four hours, maybe. They were going to stick with it and go with it, uh, and then the Twitter blowback got so severe they finally pulled it down. That's what happens when you have people running that department that don't know sports because that's double bad. Double. It, yes, because you've got the basketball aspect of it that anybody on this podcast knows, and then you've got the knowledge that that's Butch Jones's thing. And here's the thing. I know that I'm their Butch worst Jones. critic. You're their only one, but go well, ahead. I, yes, thank you. I sit back. Honest to God, this is how I felt this year. I'm like, just don't screw something up. Just quit screwing up so I quit having to, having to talk about it, right? And and it's that, it's the strategic plan that she came out with in those two press conferences, it's the media relations thing, and now it's the refusal to have anything that you can put out in front of people to make them feel better. And I'm sorry, uh, again, maybe this is not fair, but I heard that interview with the chancellor and I see what's going on, and I just see it accelerating towards worse, and I say, where's the adult who's going to pull the emergency brake on all this nonsense? I mean, I've been saying this forever, man. Like, I maybe it's because I'm young and people will call me young and ignorant, but I just don't know how hard it is for sometimes to just be open. And it's, I mean, it's... Being on the beat, you've learned that things are pretty political. Not political in a sense, like actually political, but everyone always watches their words. People have their people that they trust. Um, everybody always walks with, you know, walks on their tippy toes. Um, there's just not, yeah, and, there, and when you when the, when that's the deal, like there's no accountability at all. You lose trust. I mean, obviously, I was on the same, and I know we've had these conversations. I was on the same boat as you. I was like, I just don't want to, you were the only, and the reason I respect you, Chris, because you're the only one that actually, I feel like you're the only one that sometimes recovers, that that covers Vanderbilt fully, that, you know, it's not not just going to throw sunshine and rainbows at it and just, that's it. Because, you know, most people, most people figured people don't care about Vanderbilt. You genuinely cover Vanderbilt like how I see other people covering, you know, other things in the SEC. And it's like Vanderbilt knows it, and they know that no, you know, they know that there's just no op- there's just no openness to it. When I did my first thing with you, Chris, like a year ago, that was my main gripe. I was like, it just feels like we're shutting out the already small base we have. I said that a, a literal year ago, and here we are, and it just seems like it just seems like it's just doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. So we're trend we've been trending the wrong way, and I'm hoping this coaching search is the one catalyst we need to start going the other way. Uh, 81J says, how many players does Vanderbilt need to sign, including transfers, in order to be competitive next year? Which three offensive and which three defensive players are you most interested in watching develop next year? Now, first, uh, I, I got to ask, because you, Bruno handed to it a minute ago, and I, I don't know what the ruling is, especially uh, with, with COVID. I mean, can are we going to be granted some type of exception and be allowed to sign <laughs> – 45 people to try to get back to a full roster. I mean, how's that going to work? Uh, I mean, do 
can we add some junior college players here or some, uh, you know, I mean, what's, what's the maximum number here? How does that go in regards to all this, the transfer portal uh, for players coming in? Because the fact of the matter is, is if we don't get some of these guys back. Whoever takes this job can't take the job with 50 players. Come on. Can't do that. You know, now I'll answer the other question, the rest of it in a second, but do you guys have any idea how, how that works in regards to these numbers? Yeah, I do. I have a good friend in compliance. So this is not a Division One school, but some of the things are universal. And, of course, they hear the buzz in terms of what's going on. The talk has been that they are going to potentially let teams sign more than 25 because of the COVID situation. But as my buddy told me, he said, I feel like that's been the buzz for a few weeks and nothing's happened. And he said, here we are, we're signing days coming up, and you just wonder if it's going to be reality. This is what I've been saying since preseason, right? The, the opt-outs before the year started, you start taking the body count of how many kids are gone. And it was alarming before they even kicked the football off, guys. And I was saying then, if I'm in charge at the school, I'm looking into this. And I figure out what's going on because why are kids leaving? Because what you're going to do if you're not careful is you're going to put yourself in a spot of self-imposed probation. Uh, and let's say they have 50 guys come back. I think that's high, but it might not be. You sign 25, you're at 75. That is automatically like you're on probation because you're down 10 scholarships. And, and Bruno, mm -hmm. you tell me, I think it's going to be worse than that. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I, and that was the, that was the point I mentioned earlier. Like, we we're talking about getting the right guys into Vanderbilt first. We need to get guys into Vanderbilt. I mean, that team just simply needs bodies, and that's the first step. So, however way, which is whether it's going to have to be a waiver or something, or where are we on a? Are we basically on what we consider a self-imposed penalty because that's what it seems like? Um, Overcoming that as the first step. Then we can start going after guys we want, but we're not going to get anywhere. As with seventy-five guys, that's a travel roster. That's not. That's not a practice roster. You need a lot of people to make a football team work, and those people need to all be on the same page. You know, we have forty-five, and who knows how many of those guys are on the same page, right? So, that's going to be the biggest challenge for a coach coming in. That's a tough thing to sell, right? You know, when that depth chart got released, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how destroyed can a program be like this has to be one of the worst ones and i don't know how covid has affected other people and opt outs and transfers but that was a tough look that was a tough look as a former player i was 2 years ago it was 2 years ago i was there and we had a we had a full roster a lot of talent seemed like we had a good culture and it's just crazy how fast you know things sort of just take a dive yeah that's why you you don't have the luxury of especially in this conference uh, but in regards to the question that was asked, uh, three of the guys I'm looking forward to, uh, I'll, I'll do the defensive side of the ball. Uh, one for me is Donovan Kaufman. I mean, I think we got cheated out of seeing how good he could have become uh, as a freshman throughout the year. He's a really exciting young player to watch, and I, I really look forward to seeing him. Uh, you know, another one uh, is another defensive player. It's a, it's, a, it's a prospect, you know, one of our commits right now, but I really like this kid. Man, you turn on the film, of uh, Michael Mincy, uh, the, the linebacker, uh, I believe out of Georgia, I believe it is. And I, I got to tell you, man, he's, he's one of those guys where, you know, and Bruno, you know how it is. You saying, you know, it's one of those guys that, you know, you can hear him make a tackle in practice and you don't have to wonder who it was. We need that. You know, he, we need that bad. Yeah. 
Yeah, and 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 he looks like that type of player. I mean, I would watch him win leverage battles with offensive linemen on that film. You know, at six two. You know, six three, two ninety, offensive lineman, uh, and and he'll stand them up. He'll stand them up at contact and not take a single step backwards. End up winning the battle and tipping them over. And I'm thinking, man, and these weren't just decent linemen. This is down in Georgia, and these and these were some really good teams that he was playing against. And he just owned them over and over. And I get it's a uh, it's a highlight reel, uh, but it's one thing to be you know quick sideline to sideline. It's quite another to take on a pulling guard uh, right there, meet him in the hole, stand him up, and knock him backwards on a on a uh, on a on the reg, if you will, on the regular. Uh, and so he's a guy that, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's one of the more highly recruited players there, uh, but he's the guy that I, I think, man, we need a lot of, he's got some nasty about him that I think would, would be pretty fantastic. And then, you know, I, I guess uh, one of these two big defensive tackle commitments, either Tyrion Sergic or Marcus Bradley. I mean, these are the kind of guys that we have to have uh, if we're going to compete with the Georgias and the Floridas and the Tennessees and the old misses in the Kentucky so, hey, a week, a week, a week, a week, a week. We got to have some nasties like that. Uh, who, you know, we, we signed a couple lately and I, we just haven't seen much out of them. Uh, but both of those guys, watching both of those guys, uh, I think they're exactly what we need. We need them on the trenches. Uh, so that's why I picked one from each level, the linebacking core, the defensive backs, and, and the defensive line. So I'll go with I'll go with uh, Marcus Bradley uh, is, is a guy that I like to see. Marcus Bradley, Michael Mincy, and Donovan Kaufman. Gentlemen, we are about out of time, so I'm going to wrap this show up today. Uh, parting thoughts, starting with you, Seabass. I'm a little bit concerned in the sense that, you know, we're talking about all these numbers and everything, and and we are, what are we, guys? Are we one week away from National Signing Day, the early period? What is the 16th? We're on the 9th, so yes, one week. Yeah. We're one week away, and we have a lot more questions than we do answers. And if I'm a commit, I mean, I'm worried about it for sure, but it's their future, you know. And and so I'm I'm wondering if what we see, if we don't have an answer on the direction of where we're going, you know, I mean, and it's great that Candace Storley reach out and talk to them. That's wonderful. That's all well and good. Uh, but they're going to need some answers sooner than later. And if we get to signing day and it comes and goes and they don't have an answer, then I'm afraid even if they're still committed and they can still sign in February, that's when other people start saying, hmm, look, hey, man, look, look at this guy right here. He didn't put pen to paper. We had some interest in it and some other things fell through for us. Let's give Marcus Bradley a holler. You know, let's 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 give some of these other guys. Let's give John House a holler uh, and see what he's thinking. I mean, why would he want to go through all this? We got a spot for him. Uh, I, I want to get those guys locked up sooner than later. And that's look, I am not saying that we need to have an answer so that we can save one class. That's a, that's. That's not the right way, the course of action. Uh, but this this program needs some stabilization and in a hurry. Bruno had to ditch us. He's not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I completely understand. And hopefully this time next week when we do this, I would hope that we have a resolve on National Signing Day, but I'm not overly optimistic about it at this point. Yeah. Well, my friend, uh, thanks for joining us. Tell people where they can find your show, where they can find you online. 
Yeah, brother. You can find me online at uh, at Cheap Seats Bass on on Twitter, and you can find me on your radio one hundred one point five FM in Jackson, Tennessee, Monday through Friday, six to eight PM on the Cheap Seats. All right, he's Sea Bass. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you to Bruno Reagan for joining us too. Thanks for listening to the show. We'll catch you again next week.